boy. Hey, uh, you got a camera back there? You get these socks? These are my, these are my favorite socks. My wife gave them to me. And uh, she gave me several pair. So y'all just need to know that, uh, man, if you can't preach in these socks, you should just get a different job. R.S. Together. Uh, how many of you are planning to come to the dinner this week? It's going to be awesome. Listen, guys, let me just say this. If you believe in what we're doing, if you, if you embrace the Riverstone vision, and there is any way possible for you to make this dinner Wednesday night, I encourage you to, to get your phone out and sign up. Um, because this is a huge part. Our gatherings, the, the dinner, not just the classes, but the, the dinner gathering is a huge part of what we're trying to do and what we feel like God is calling us to in this season. So I just encourage you, don't, don't miss it. Uh, don't think that it's just food. It, it's, it's a very, it is, there is food. And it's good food. Uh, but this is a very important part of what we're trying to do. Now, let me, uh, let me just see how, if you've been listening uh, in the past few weeks. So what is the percentage of unchurched people when asked by a significant person in their life, if, when they're invited to church, what, what percentage strongly considers saying yes? Who said 47? 47%. 47. 47%. So that's... That's a lot, right? Okay, let me throw another one at you. So what is the percentage of people who come when you bring them? Aha! A hundred. A hundred percent. So Easter's coming, and uh, you're praying. I'm praying. We're all praying, and we're asking the Lord, show me. Who's, who's the person? Who are the people? Who, what, who is the family that you want us to bring? Uh, because it matters. The Bible says that uh, we need to hear the message. We need to hear the message so we can respond to the message. And so we, we want to get people here, especially those who have not yet believed. So the last few weeks we've been walking through uh, the events leading up to uh, Easter as they are told by Mark and his gospel. and kind of hanging around in. Uh, chapter 13 and 14, two weeks ago, we talked about the woman who anointed Jesus with expensive perfume. Uh, you'll remember that. And then uh, last week, we talked about the Last Supper. And, and, you know, we have this image that's portrayed in paintings that this was just a serene, peaceful gathering, kind of like R.S. Together dinner. It, and it wasn't that at all. It, it was different. It was kind of intense and kind of, if you're a disciple, it was probably a bit nerve wracking uh, because Jesus was saying things like, one of you will betray me. Uh, all of you will leave me. Peter, you're going to deny me. Uh, you know, it wasn't an encouraging dinner only. Now, there were some encouraging things. Jesus said, hey, all this is going to happen, but it's going to end well. It's going to end well. And so... Uh, right after the dinner, 
Jesus takes his disciples to pray. And we're going we're to look at that today. Mark 14, if you want to turn there, uh, beginning at verse 32. <clears throat> and they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found him sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still asleep and taking your rest? Is it enough? The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. We, we want to hear from you. We want to know the message that you have for us today. We open our hearts to you. We open our ears to you. And we pray that you would speak. In Jesus' name, amen. I think it's safe to say that Up to this point in the life of Jesus, this is his most difficult night. Now, he knows what is coming, and there will certainly be a couple of days uh, that will be worse even than this night. Uh, He knows what the crucifixion is like. Uh, He knows that he's headed towards the cross. He knows that that is coming. And, and if you lived during that time, you had some understanding of what death by crucifixion was like. It was, it was excruciating and, and horrific. And he knows that. Uh, now, Jesus being Jesus, maybe he had a deeper understanding of it even before he experienced it than, than we would, or the, the normal person would, but, but everybody in that time knew, at least from an observer's standpoint, what crucifixion was like. You know, it's kind of like men who, who try to be sympathetic towards their wives when they have a baby. We, we can say, hey, I understand. We, my wife is laughing. We, we don't understand. Until you've experienced it. And praise God that uh, we, we don't have to. And so until you experience the crucifixion, you don't fully understand it. But in that day and time, 
people knew. This was the most cruel form of death. And so Jesus knows what's coming, and and he is anticipating that. Uh, But up until this point in his life, this night is the worst night. It's the most difficult night of his life. I mean, you think about the things that have happened at dinner. He said, you know, these are the things that are going to happen. He's already said, you know, one of you. One of my disciples, one of my twelve, is going to betray me. One of the ones that I am the closest to is going to deny three times that he even knows me. And all of you are going to scatter. All of you are going to leave. Add to that just the anticipation of this kind of death that he knows is coming. It's just an incredibly horrific night. Now, the passage that we just read tells us he goes to the garden with his disciples. He takes three, Peter, James, and John, typically the three that he takes with him to a further place. He takes them. They go a little deeper into the garden, and it says he falls on his face in prayer. He he says to them before he goes, A little farther, he says, my soul is troubled. I am deeply troubled, even to the point of death. This is how difficult this night is. And then he goes into this place, this deeper place, and he falls on his face, and he cries out to the Lord. And here's the thing that I want to say. When trouble came, When difficulty came, Jesus went to the place of prayer. And so the question for us today is where do you go when trouble comes? Where do you go when trouble comes? I think there are a lot of places that people go. Uh, Sometimes we go to despair. Sometimes we go to addiction. Uh, Sometimes we go to fear. Sometimes we go to anger. Sometimes we go to doubt and unbelief. Sometimes we go to food. Anybody ever gone to food? Sometimes we go to the mall. Just to be honest. Sometimes when trouble comes, we just go to the mall. You know, let's just go buy something. Maybe that'll make everything better. (laughs) All the husbands are going, yeah. (laughs) Where do you go? Where do you go when trouble comes? When life is pressing in. And here's the thing we have to understand, that trouble's coming. Trouble is going to come. Trouble is that thing, it's either come, it's either it's either. Has come in the past, is coming right now, or will come in the future. You can just count on it. Trouble is coming. And the reason that we know that is because Jesus said, in this life, in this world, you will have trouble. And then he went on to say, but take heart. I've overcome this world. And so where should we go when trouble comes? I want to suggest to you that the only place to go 
when trouble comes is the place of prayer. The only place to go when trouble comes is the place of prayer. Jesus goes to the place of prayer. And he goes to a place of prayer that is honest and vulnerable and passionate and intimate and ultimately surrendered and obedient. The only place that can carry you through the place of trouble is the place of prayer. I would say, and I, I, have, I have thought through this statement for a week, and I've tried to make it not true. But it's just true. The measure, the measure of your spiritual life, the measure of your relationship with God is your prayer life. Your prayer life will measure your life with God more clearly than anything. Let me, let me read you a quote from somebody a lot smarter than me. If you don't have this book, you should get it. Timothy Keller. It's got a real fancy title. Prayer. On page 18 in this book. Keller says this, prayer is the only entryway into genuine self-knowledge. It is also the main way we experience deep change, the reordering of our loves. Prayer is how God gives us so many of the unimaginable things he has for us. Indeed, Prayer makes it safe for God to give us many of the things we most desire. It is the way we know God, the way we finally treat God as God. Prayer is simply the key to everything we need to do and be in life. We must learn to pray. We have to. I had a chance this past week to visit with the man that led me to Jesus when I was 18 years old, uh, Alton Paris. He's 96, 96 years old. And uh, you know how many times he went to church this past year? 52 Sundays. He's 96. He, he hadn't missed a Sunday. He hadn't missed a, uh, a Sunday in church in all the years that I've known him, and I met him in 1969. Uh, more than that, he's, he's never in all the days uh, that he has known the Lord missed a day of prayer. I, I learned more about prayer from him than from any, any other person besides Jesus. Uh, he was the person that told me, Tom, you, you rest more in one hour of real prayer than in eight hours of sleep. He, he taught me that sleep is really overrated. I, medical doctors, I'm sorry. Uh, this is what he taught me. He taught me that sleep was really overrated, and that's why he stayed up studying and reading until midnight and then woke up at four so he could pray. Uh, 
on up into his late 80s and early 90s, he, he operated on about four or five hours of sleep a night. And he's the most energetic person I've ever known. Uh, a man of deep, deep prayer. I, I, he, he was the first person that I ever heard say, uh, I can measure your life by, with the answer to one question. How's your prayer life? I can measure your spiritual life. I can measure your relationship to God with one question. How's your prayer life? We have to learn to pray. And so today I just want to, uh, in a real simple, practical way, I want to walk you through some things that, that are important. Some things that, that you and I need uh, in our lives if we're going to develop a life of prayer. Now, all of us will pray. Trust me, I, I know. We, we will all pray when we get in trouble. But the key is developing a life of prayer so that when trouble comes, that relationship is already there. It's already developed, and you're hearing God clearly, and He can help you to navigate the best way through the prayer. Or through through the trouble, you know. You don't want when trouble comes. You don't want the only prayer in your arsenal to be, "Oh God, Oh God, Oh God, Oh God." Now, I I, I understand. I, I have prayed that prayer, and, and it's an effective and powerful prayer. Trust me. But you don't want that to be the only prayer in your arsenal. Okay. So, here's some things uh, you need if you want to develop a life of prayer. You need a personal place of prayer. You need a personal place of prayer. And the personal place is that intimate place. It's that honest place. It's that vulnerable place. When you, you look at this prayer that Jesus prays in the garden, and you see that it is a no-holds-barred prayer. He goes into this place, this deep place, and he is talking to a father that he knows, that he loves, and that he trusts. And he is not timid. He's not afraid. He says what's on his mind. He says, Abba, is there another way? If there's another way, there's, nothing is impossible for you. You can do anything. If there's another way, oh, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Some of us are under the illusion that we have to pray the right words all the time. Some of us are under the illusion that we can never express anxiety. We can never express doubt. We can never express fear. We have to say everything just perfectly. We have to prepare it in our minds, maybe write it down, and then present it to God. Perfectly wrapped up in a bow, theology intact, no issues of faith involved. And Jesus just didn't follow that method. He went into the garden, he fell on his face, and he said, Okay, I know the world, since it was created, this was your plan. This was the way it was supposed to be. I have been destined for death on the cross from the beginning of time and before. Could we change that? Is there any way? Could we just come up with another plan? If there's any way. 
could this cup pass? That's my heart. Nevertheless, not what I want, what you want, ultimately, is what I want. The personal place, it's a a place of being honest. It's a place of being vulnerable. It's a place where you listen. It's a place that needs to be developed so that you know where to go when trouble comes. Personal place of prayer. I, I want to say, too, that you need this personal place needs time. It can't be rushed. If you're grabbing an ego out of the toaster and headed to the car on your way to work and that's your personal time of prayer between the toaster and the car or even from you know the toaster to the end of the driveway, it's not going to be enough. You need time. S.D. Gordon, maybe one of my favorite quotes on prayer ever, S.D. Gordon said, we need time, much time, so much time that we forget how much time. That's how much time we need in prayer. We need time, much time, so much time that we forget how much time. When was the last time you prayed so long that you forgot how long it had been? We need time. This can't be a rushed, hurry up, on the run time. You need to carve out some time in your life. this, This may be the most important thing I ever say to you. Carve out time. Make an extended time of prayer a priority in your life. Because trouble's coming. Be ready. Second thing that we need is we need family time. You need personal time and you also need family time. You need family prayer. My my pastor that I met with last week, Alton, <laughs> we were getting ready to leave and, and I said, I, I want you to pray for me. And he said, Tom, I have a card with your picture, your, yours and Melissa's picture on it. I pray for you every day. Every day. He and his wife pray together every morning. You need a family time. You need family prayer. Husbands and wives praying together. This is a great time. Pray pray for your kids. (laughs) Can I tell them what your prayer for our kids was? My wife prayed from the time they were born until she still prays it. Lord, I don't want my kids to be kooks. I don't even know what a kook is, but I know my kids are not kooks because she's prayed. She has prayed every day since since Mason was born and Grace Ann was born every day. Lord, I don't want my kids to be kooks. And so whatever a kook is, we don't have them. And, uh, <laughs> but, you know, we, but we had three things that we wanted for our kids. As we were raising them, three, just three things. We wanted them to love God. We wanted them to love us. And we wanted them to love the church. Uh, we have way too many friends who are in the role that we're in, uh, pastors, whose kids don't love the church. And th- those are our goals. Love God, love us, love the church. And we have two children who 
love God, love us, and love the church. It, it wasn't an accident. We prayed for that every day of their lives. Uh, family prayer is a great place. It's the place you come together to pray for your kids. It's a place where you make decisions, really. How many of you have, have realized that in married life there are decisions that you have to make every now and then? Y'all figured that out yet? Just, I mean, you know, it, it's not constant. I mean, it's not more than 25, 30 times a day. But it's, there are decisions that have to be made. You know, what are your priorities going to be? What's, what is going to be the direction of your family? Uh, where are your kids going to go to school? Where are you going to work? Where are you going to live? Where you, you know, how are you going to spend your money? Everything. It's just decision after decision after decision that you have to make. And, and I'll, I'll promise you, you will make fewer mistakes. You'll make fewer bad decisions if you have a family place where you and your wife and your kids are praying and asking the Lord for direction. And, and you know what else? When you do make mistakes, you'll know better how to deal with it if there's a family place of prayer. And I would say, too, just where these two things come together. Parents, oh, I'm not saying to flaunt your prayer life in front of your kids. But I am saying it's very important that your children understand that you place high priority on prayer and on a life of prayer. Uh, my, I, I don't know how many times my kids actually were, you know, walked in on me while I was in my place of prayer in the morning. Um, it didn't happen very often. Because I made sure that I prayed at a time where they were not awake. Um, that was the only quiet time in our house. Uh, but they did, they were aware of the priority that I placed on prayer. And just like your kids need to see your faith, just like they need to know where you stand with Jesus. They need to know how you cultivate that, that place that you stand with Jesus. And so uh, make sure that your kids know that prayer is a priority. The family place is, is the place where you pray for your children. It's the place where you make decisions. It's a place where uh, you, man, it would be a great place for you to pray for your church. It would be a great place for you to pray for your pastors. Uh, and their families. Uh, we, we value your prayers for us. We, we really do. And uh, I think every pastor on our staff has a, a prayer shield. And we depend on those people to pray for us. But let me just say that you don't have to be on my prayer shield to pray for me. Uh, you don't have to be on my prayer shield to pray for me every day. You don't have to be on my prayer shield to pray for me several times a day, every day. Uh, Feel free to pray for me anytime. Pray for the family place. Have that family place of prayer. Cultivate that. A third thing that, that I think would be important 
in a life of prayer, developing a life of prayer, is to have a group place. Have a small group of people that you can pray with. Have a small group of people who, when trouble comes, you can go and meet with this small group of people. And, and you know, in a small circle, you can pray and you can be honest. You know, you, you might not want to tell the whole world every difficulty that you walk through. But you need a circle of people that you can tell everything to. People that you can just be honest and vulnerable with who will pray for you. There will be times in your life where you find it difficult to believe for yourself. And you will need in those times people who will believe for you and believe with you. Who will actually lead you into the place of faith. You need a circle, a small circle of trusted friends who will pray for you, who you can pray for. And then together you can pray for your community. Pray for community transformation. And then the fourth place that you need to develop is a corporate place. And this is a place you know, where we come together as a church and we pray for revival. And we pray for God to transform this community. And we pray for God uh, to minister to those who in our community are, are unchurched and lost. This is a great place to pray uh, for those in the world uh, who are being persecuted because of their faith. To have corporate prayer time. That we have uh, a women's group that meets on Thursdays. We have a men's group that meets on Sunday mornings. We have a, another group that meets in here on Sunday morning before the service. Um, there, I'm sure there are other groups. We have Tuesdays at noon where we come together for corporate prayer. Uh, and it's, it's important. Uh, personal prayer is important. You, have, you need to cultivate that place in your life. And you need to carve out time. And, and it, 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 needs, it can start small, but leave room for it to grow. Okay? Don't let it become something that's just quick, hit-and-run rush. I have relatives. I have distant cousins that I would say I'm related to. I wouldn't say I have a relationship with them. Because I never talk to them. You don't want Jesus to be a distant cousin. Right? You want Jesus to be an intimate brother. Y'all know the story about the guy, the, the boy who uh, wanted to jump off the high dive? Three years old. Didn't know how to swim. His 14-year-old cousin, his 14-year-old cousin had gone to the pool with this little boy and his dad. And the 14-year-old cousin climbed up on the high dive and went out to the edge of the platform and got scared and wouldn't jump. She's just trembling up there, just petrified. And so her uncle, the little boy's dad, jumps out and swims out into the middle of the pool and is yelling for her to jump. That you know He's here. He'll, he'll help her. Hopefully he didn't say, I'll catch you. But, but, you know, I'm here. You can jump. It's safe. And she just couldn't do it. She turned, and she went back down the ladder 
And then she ran over to the side of the pool and just fell into her towel, just weeping. And the uncle went over to console her, and then he heard a voice. Daddy, I'm going to jump. And he looked up to his horror. His three-year-old was on the platform out on the edge, high dive, standing on the edge. And the dad dove out into the water and swam to the middle and looked up just as his dad, just as his son jumped. No hesitation, no fear. You know what the difference is, right? God's not your uncle. He's your dad. You can jump. You can jump. We need that place, the personal place. We need that family place. We need that group place. And you need the corporate place. Because God wants to develop an intimate, personal, deep relationship with you. He's not looking for nieces and nephews, folks. Sons and daughters. Sons and daughters. Now let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would teach us how to pray. More than anything else, we need to know this. Because it's really the key to everything else. Teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask our teams, prayer teams, to come and uh, get ready. I just encourage you today. I, I know, you, whatever, you, you may have come here today knowing. I, I, boy, when, when he stops talking, I, I'm, I'm going to go up there and get somebody to pray for me about this. And that's fine. If that's why you came, we will pray for you. Uh, physical healing, uh, financial issues spiritual healing, whatever it is, but I especially want to encourage you today, if you have found it difficult, if you have found it difficult to really cultivate this place of prayer in your life, uh, I want to encourage you to come and just pray and, and, and believe that as these people pray for you, that God would unlock something in you. Okay? All right. Let's stand together. <clears throat> Holy Spirit, we love you. <laughs> we love the way you work. We love the way you move. We love the way you love. And we invite you to move here in this time of ministry, to move in our hearts, to move through these teams, to express your joy in Jesus' name.